morning. My name is uh, Juliet, or Jules, and I'll be reading from Mark chapter 7 this morning, which is on the screens behind me. <clears throat> the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. They observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they had give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed. And there are many other customs they have received and keep, like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating bread with ceremonially unclean hands? He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you, hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, Whatever benefit you might have received from me as Corban, that is, an offering devoted to God, you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many other similar things. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Then he went into the house away from the crowd. His disciples asked him about this parable. He said to them, are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil action, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, 
and she was asking him to cast the devil out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went, away, went by the way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private after putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. Immediately, his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Here ends the reading. everybody. My name is Matt. I'm one of the student ministers here at church. It's great to be with you here with you this morning. Now, I wonder as you look around the world, it's pretty easy to see, isn't it, that we live in a world that is really caught up with the superficial, where it's what's on the outside that matters. How I look, what people think of me, am I popular? All you have to do is look at the reality TV shows uh, that are on at the moment I did a quick search on a few streaming platforms and uh, this is what I found. The Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, <laughs> Love Island, Heartbreak Island, Temptation Island, Shipwrecked, X on the Beach, Too Hot to Handle, Beautiful but Broke. So many shows and all these shows, you can tell just by the uh, little thumbnail, that they're all about essentially objectifying people based on their looks, on their exterior. Even a show like Beauty and the Geek, which you, know, you think it's going to at least give a little look into someone's character, they end up just going and giving the geeks a makeover and making it all about the outside anyway. <laughs> you see, it's all about the exterior. It's not just in reality TV though, is it? How quickly do we judge people based on what they look like? or what job they have, or who they hang out with. We accept and reject people based on their outside instead of looking at what's underneath. And as well as judging others, we ourselves get caught up in putting on an exterior that will be pleasing to people. We care about dressing well, about making sure we hang out with the cool people, 
showing others that we have our lives together. And as Christians, it's easy to do this with our relationship with Jesus. It's possible for our Christian life to be all about outward appearance. You know, I go to church most weeks. I, I'm nice to people. I get into the music. I lead youth. I look like I have a relationship with God. But deep down, maybe I barely have a relationship at all. I don't love Him. I don't serve Him. I don't pray to Him. I don't know Him. Our lips say that we believe, but our hearts are far away from God. And when our actions don't match up with our hearts, well, it's sort of like we're wearing a mask or a costume. We're pretending to be what we're not. And we call this being a hypocrite, don't we? And a hypocrite, that word literally means putting on a mask, playing a part. And today, as we dig into Mark chapter 7, Jesus, he's going to show us our hypocritical hearts. But Jesus, he goes further than just calling us out for being hypocrites. He says that underneath our mask is a defiled heart. That is, he says that all of humanity has hearts that are evil, hearts that are prone to sin and hearts that mean we are far away from God. And yet we're also going to see that as Jesus reveals our true hearts, he's going to show us that our hearts can be made clean through his grace. How would I pray? And then we'll jump into the passage together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can sit under it and learn from it. We pray it will transform us this morning. Help us to come away from this morning loving you more and looking more like Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as we jump into Mark 7, we see it starts with some Pharisees gathered around Jesus, questioning why Jesus' disciples don't live according to the traditions of the elders. See, the Pharisees, as religious leaders, well, they claim to be all about God. But Jesus reveals that their excessive emphasis on the externals, on the superficials. You see, they practice ceremonial washing, performing cleaning rituals with their hands as they came back from the marketplace. Not only their hands, but kettles and cups and pitchers and all these things to do with cooking and eating. And maybe it sounds like they're really hygienic, they just want to be nice and clean, but it's not about that, it's about purity. They wanted to be clean in a pure sense, acceptable before God. They wanted to rid themselves of any impurity, any defilement that they may have touched at the marketplace. And the Pharisees and the Jews, they had lots of rules to make them pure and acceptable. Rules about what you could wear, what you could eat, and lots of others. And I think the intention behind making these rules is, it was often good. You see, they valued the law so highly, that the Pharisees, they wanted to be obedient at all costs. So they would take a law like uh, not working on the Sabbath, and then they would make lots of other rules around uh, that to help them be obedient at all costs. They would decide things like what distance you could walk before it became work, or what you could carry, how much and how far what you could cook and things like that. And rules, they're usually a good thing, aren't they? I think we sometimes get frustrated with them, but usually they're really helpful. They provide us clarity. They help us to know what we can and can't do in certain situations. 
So for us, we have speeding laws to know how fast we can drive. We have rules about how many days you have to send your kids to school, how much uh, grip on your tyre you need to have before you can have your car registered. Rules are helpful to make us know how to be obedient. And yet as keen as the Pharisees were to make and stick to these rules, they are getting it completely wrong. You see, in this passage, we see God is far less interested in your exterior than He is in your interior. Jesus, He wants a different kind of religion, not one based on people's outward appearance, on the superficial, but on what is in your heart. As we work our way through this passage, I think we see four main problems with a religion that is based on the superficial. And the first is that a superficial religion is that we start to put rules and traditions ahead of God's Word. Have a look in verses 6 to 8. He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, these, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. The Pharisees are very good at keeping their laws and although the intention was to be obedient, the problem is they end up putting all the traditions and laws ahead of the Word of God. It became all about the rules. And that's easy to do, isn't it? Because rules are easy to follow. They're often a lot easier to follow than trying to understand the Bible and work out how to live. Last week we talked about church finances and I wonder as you're thinking about your own uh, giving, whether you thought about how much you should give? Well, if someone gives us a rule, like a specific number, like 10%, you, you need to give 10% of your money to the church, that's pretty easy to understand. It's a definite amount and you can follow that rule. But when you actually read the Bible, it becomes a bit tougher, a bit of hard work. Because the Bible actually has a lot to say about generosity. That 10% was an Old Testament practice that the Israelite people gave to the Levite priests. But it's not a specific command for us. And so, when we, we actually need to read the Bible and see what it says about generosity, about our money. And the Bible says that we should give our whole lives to Jesus. And it says to give joyfully and to give generously. And it says lots of other things about money as well but it doesn't give us that specific number that we're looking for. And so, we end up making a rule like 10% and we stick with that. We tick a box and we make sure we do the right thing. And in that process, we actually stop valuing the Word of God. We stop trying to wrestle hard about what it means to love God and to love others. And we choose to do what we've always done or been told and we make that the authority instead of God's Word. Now, the the next issue that Jesus highlights about this type of religion is that we are so sinful that we actually use our rules and traditions to enable us to sin more. Have a look in verse 9 to 13. He also said to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, honour your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother... Whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corbin. That is, an offering devoted to God. You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, 
You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many other similar things. You see, in God's word, in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, we see the command to honour your father and mother. That's the fifth commandment. But what the Jews did was they created a tradition called Corban. You dedicate all your money to God. You don't actually have to give it away, you just dedicate it. And so then, when your parents come, they're in need and they're asking for money to help, well, you can then say, actually, I've devoted everything, all my money to God. And so I I now don't have any to give to you. And in that process, it actually becomes a way of not helping your parents. It becomes becomes a way of not honouring them. It becomes a way of sin. And continuing on the money theme, it's a bit like tax evasion for us, isn't it? We have really helpful rules that are set up for a good purpose and yet we then use those rules, we try and bend those rules and see what we can get out of it. We use them for our own selfish purposes. And We hate when the big companies do that, right? When the big corporate companies find all these ways to avoid tax, when the rich are deceitful and get richer and yet we all do it in part. We all think about what we can get out of it. And maybe not just specifically with taxes, but just generally good rules that are set up for good purposes. We try and find loopholes and bend the rules to serve our own purposes, to gain advantage for ourselves. You see, rules, they never stop us from doing the wrong thing. God wants us to be pure, but then we create rules that allow us to sin like crazy. Because our problem is in our heart. We are so defiled and so evil that we even turn rules into sinning. But not only do we use rules to allow us to sin, we also use, use these rules to, uh, and traditions to judge others based on the superficial. So the Pharisees in verse 5, they ask Jesus, why don't the disciples eat, why do the disciples eat with unclean hands? In that moment, the Pharisees are actually judging Jesus' disciples because they don't follow the same rules and traditions that they do. The Pharisees think that they're better than the disciples, that they're more devout. And we can be like that too, can't we? We judge others who don't come to church or growth group each week. We judge others who on on a night out at dinner have more than one drink because we've decided that one is our limit. We judge parents who smack their kids because we've decided that that's wrong. Any rule that we create can become a reason to judge others. Even though when we look at our own hearts, we see them just as defiled and evil. But the real problem that Jesus highlights about a superficial religion, the root of the issue, the reason we do all these other things, is that our sin comes from our heart. Have a look at verse 14 and 15. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. See, the Pharisees, they were so concerned about their hands being clean, about making sure no impurity entered them, But our problems go far deeper than any hand-washing can fix, and far deeper than any rule can fix. Our problem is our heart. This is what makes us impure and defiled. Have a look at verse 21 
to 23. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. It's a big list, isn't it? Evil and morality, deceit, foolishness. All these things come out of our heart. These things have nothing to do with the dirt on our hands or the food we eat. Rather, the problem is who we are. It's our heart. Our whole being is evil. Humans, we're prone to evil, aren't we? That is our problem. We're not good. Society, they, that wants to, they want to tell us something else. They want to say that inherently, no, we are good. Yeah, sure, we, we do some silly things occasionally, but really, overall, we're pretty good. Society tells us that the problems of the world come from external things, from things like lack of education, from the environment we grew up in as a child, or the circumstances that are put in front of us. And we always find a way to blame something else for any wrongdoing. And then naturally, the solution to our problems then also come from the outside, don't they? We need better education. We need tougher laws. We need to help people be in a place that will help them flourish. We pick, fix people's problems from the outside in. We almost treat our, our problems like a gash on our skin. An external problem that we fix just by slapping on a band-aid. But Jesus says no. He says it's a much deeper problem than that. He says it is in our hearts. Our hearts are evil, attracted to sin. There's no outside things that can fix us, no law and education. We've tried that. We've tried fixing things from the outside. Something like I mentioned earlier, speed limits. Everyone is very well educated about the risks of speeding. We know that it kills people. And the laws are there, they're pretty strict. The penalties are strong. And yet people still do it all the time, don't they? Why do we still do it? Because when we're in a pinch, when we need to get somewhere on time, when we put ourselves, we then put ourselves before others. We're selfish, we're sinful. Laws and education and the environment can't fix our problem because the problem is in our heart. And that's the religion of the Pharisees. And yet Jesus is different. Jesus cares about people's hearts. It's not that he doesn't care about the externals. You think the Pharisees were good at following the law? Well, Jesus is even better. Jesus is perfect. He is holy. He's holy because He is God. The Old Testament speaks of God's holiness as something that is so perfect and so pure that you can't even be in its presence and live. Jesus is this holy. And yet He doesn't just hold our external actions to account. He looks and cares at the state of people's hearts. And as he looks at our hearts and he sees our hypocrisy and defilement, he at the same time holds out grace to us, which is what we see in these next two encounters with people that the Pharisees would never have gone near. 
verses 24 to 30, we see Jesus have an encounter with a Syrophoenician woman. This woman, she's a Gentile. She lives in Tyre. Her daughter has an unclean spirit. In every sense, this woman and her family would be classified as impure, as defiled. For the Pharisees, she would not be someone that they would interact with. But Jesus is different. He looks and cares at her heart. Verse 25, Immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What do we see about the woman's heart in this passage? Well, she calls Jesus her Lord, her master, her king. She bows before him, falls at his feet. This woman trusts Jesus' goodness. She trusts that Jesus is good and kind and compassionate, that he can heal her daughter. And Jesus, we see him actually put this trust to the, the test. Because initially, he doesn't heal her. He says, let the children be fed first, that is, the Jews, God's special people. And then, essentially, he calls her a dog. I don't know know about you, but it's sort of pretty grating, isn't it? It's pretty harsh, a bit shocking, really. Maybe even derogatory. But when Jesus calls her a dog, we shouldn't be reading it as a derogatory or racial comment. Rather, the term dog was used as a religious or moral term just to mean evil people. Jesus here, he's actually calling her out, seeing if she knows where she stands in relation to God, seeing if she knows the state of her own heart. And she responds again in faith. She says, yes, Lord, I understand my standing before you. I understand my defiled heart. And yet she trusts the character of Jesus, trusts that Jesus can save her little girl and trusts that Jesus wants to do that. It's a great vulnerability here that this woman shows before Jesus. Her heart is out in the open. She's putting it all on the line. Being that vulnerable, that exposed, it's an unsettling place to be, isn't it? And yet at the same time, there's something profoundly comforting about walking with Jesus, about being in His presence, knowing that He knows us, that He sees our wretchedness, and yet He still loves us and still cares for us. There's really no relationship quite like that. This woman trusted, even though she is a Gentile, she trusts that Jesus has come to save her as well. She understands this little parable that Jesus has just spoken, understood it in a way that the Pharisees can't, understood it in a way that even the disciples haven't been able to. This woman shows us what it really means to be a Christian, what true faith looks like. It's not someone with the outward signs of Christianity. It's not someone who comes to church each week, who has grown up in a youth group. It's not even someone who is baptised as a child, as good as it is to do that today. That is not what saves us. A Christian is someone who has a personal relationship with God. 
someone who knows him as their Lord, who trusts him as their king, someone that says, Jesus is my God, therefore he is in charge of my life. He decides what is right and wrong. He decides what is important and he is the one that I obey. A Christian trusts that Jesus is good, that he loves me and he loves me enough to die on the cross to pay for my sin. That he loved me enough to pay for my uncleanness, my unclean heart, for my sexual immorality, for my greed, for my pride, for my foolishness. All the things that no rule can fix, Jesus paid for it when he died on the cross. And as a Christian, we say, yes, we trust that Jesus has done that for us. A Christian doesn't rely on growing up in a Christian home or being a good person. They trust in Jesus for their salvation. We see the defilement of our own heart and we hand our life over to Jesus to make us clean. We see as we trust in Jesus, this King that we trust, Jesus shows us what sort of King He is. He heals the daughter. He sees the woman's heart and responds with grace. And He does the same thing in the next part of the chapter. Mark, in the last part of the chapter 7, highlights another healing miracle. But this one is particularly important, I think, not just because of how he heals, but in fact because of who he heals. He heals another Gentile, a man in the Decapolis, which is a place outside of Jewish territory. The Pharisees, they wouldn't be caught dead there. Yet Jesus goes there and heals Most people would reject this deaf, mute man, yet Jesus doesn't. He heals him. And in healing this man, he actually fulfills a great prophecy from Isaiah 35. Verse 5, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. These words were a promise of God to His people, Israel, and yet Jesus fulfills it to us Gentile dogs. Jesus sees our hearts, not just our externals. This man is another example of what it means to be a Christian. Because how does he receive his healing? Well, he receives it completely passively, right? He's brought by others to Jesus. He can't hear Jesus. He can't talk to Him. All He does is accept the grace that Jesus offers Him. This is what we need to do as well. Because, friends, we can bring nothing to the table for our salvation. We can't follow a set of rules to make us right with God. We can never be good enough. We can't rely on certain traditions and rituals for our eternity. All we can do is accept the grace that Jesus offers through His death and resurrection. Accept that Jesus makes our defiled hearts clean by taking the punishment that we deserve. Accept that we need Him to change us, to save us. And we respond to Him with faith. What would this look like for us here at TAC? What would it look like for us here on a Sunday or at growth group during the week? Because we want to be a church, don't we, that is vulnerable with one another. 
We want to be a church that isn't about putting on a nice exterior, about making sure we look the part. We want to be real with one another, sharing the struggles that we face, confessing to one another when we sin, and reminding each other of the grace that Jesus offers. Are there people here at TAC who you can be real with? I'd love for us to have a culture here at church where we stand before the cross together rather than standing over one another and judging each other. We want to take sin seriously and yet we also want to remind each other that we are sinners saved by grace. You see, the Pharisees, they were superficial. They judged people by external criteria. Do you obey our rules? Do you keep our traditions? But Jesus shows us that religion is a matter of the heart. Do I know Jesus is my King? Do I trust that Jesus will be good to me, especially by dying for me? Do I trust that my defiled heart is made clean because of His saving work on the cross? How about I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus came into this world, was perfectly obedient to you, even to the point of death on a cross. We thank you that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have the hope of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, our defiled hearts made clean. Lord, help us to trust you for our salvation. Help us to have a genuine faith where we love you and trust you with our lives. Help us not to put on a superficial uh, exterior that makes us look good before others, but help us to give you all of our lives and serve you and trust you as our King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.